Welcome to Chasing Compliance, the global regulatory podcast, where we discuss all aspects of medical device, pharmaceutical, clinical, and regulatory strategy from bench to bedside. In this episode and the next, we're diving into some of our favorite tips and tricks for technical writing. Our guide for the next two episodes is Jennifer Signori. And really, in any type of writing that I've done from press releases, grant proposals through highly technical writing, I've always had a template that I've worked with. And knowing what is required, again, that's that goes back to the follow the directions. If you're using a template and they are asking for a very particular piece of information, give it to them. She starts off the conversation by going over the fundamentals of technical writing and then building from there, providing several little known or less well-known tips and tricks, some of which may really help you take your writing to the next level. Topics include understanding your documents and audience, following directions, the role and value of templates and rubrics, the importance of clarity and succinctness, and how to get unstuck or overcome roadblocks when working on long, complicated documents. We cover a lot of information in this episode. If you missed something, we've summarized the key points in the episode summary. A bit more about Jen. Jen received her BA in psychology from Purdue University and a PhD in behavioral neurosciences from UCLA. She really honed her scientific writing skills in Pitt's Office of Academic Affairs, Health Sciences, where she had the pleasure of meeting with and writing about the work of investigators across the university, staying with that role for over seven years. Jen has a history of writing grant applications and regulatory applications and currently works as a CER associate on Global's medical device team. All right, let's talk to Jen. Hey, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on Chasing Compliance today. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to talk to you about how to improve technical writing. That's something that I've always been interested in and researched to some degree myself, but we have a lot of really good stuff to talk about today. So we're going to cover tips, tricks, and best practices for regulatory and technical writing. Before we jump in, can you give us a little insight into what we'll be talking about and how listeners can apply this information? Is this just going to be hyper-focused on one type of document, or are we going to talk about things that are generally applicable? Well, today we're going to really set the foundation for technical writing, and I feel like you could actually use these tips in any type of technical writing, um, not just the type that you and I are engaged in in the medical regulatory field. And I would say that it could really benefit all writers, uh, not just technical writers, but I know that we're really talking to that technical writing audience today. Hello, everyone. And so we're going to talk about foundations today. And in doing that, we're going to really set up what you need to be thinking about as you're starting your writing. And that would work in technical writing. It could work in general writing, but really I'm going to focus on the technical writing side of it. And then hopefully next time we'll be able to dig into some details and really focus in on the polishing of, of the writing. But today will be more of a foundation. Oh, it's beautiful. And speaking of foundations, a lot of us at Global and a lot of us that work in this field have done scientific or academic training, some of it to advanced academic training and graduate degrees. And a lot of times, at least I've heard that writing really isn't a focus of the instruction in graduate school or technical or scientific STEM type fields. 
really, if you can communicate your findings and your data within the limits of of whatever type of publication or grant, that's good enough. If it's readable, that's fine. Yeah, I do find that. I do find that a lot in in uh, graduate work. At least in my experience, you're kind of out on the wings a little bit if you were trying to perfect your writing, you know? So <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but what I think is interesting is, is you're pretty passionate about this topic and you're passionate about quality writing. As such, you've become a great resource for global writers. What made you interested in in taking your writing to the next level? And what makes you want to go above and beyond? Because good enough is good enough. Why go above and beyond? No, that's a great question. And um, and you just absolutely nailed it when you said that in in graduate school, you really aren't taught the basics of writing, the basics of good writing. I mean, I, I suppose some people are. And I was actually really fortunate that that I was when I was doing my Ph.D. I had a dissertation advisor who you know, sat down with me and he looked at my dissertation where it was at that time and said, look, you've got some wonderful ideas here. You've did, done some really interesting studies and all of the things you want to say are in the document. The problem is they're not in the document in a really cohesive way, in a really streamlined way. And as I'm reading it, I'm going from point A to point Q to point Z to point K he really sat down with me and worked through how to take what I wanted to say and put it together in a way that really made everybody understand what I wanted to express. What was nice is as I was finishing my graduate work, even my main lab advisor, he had a really good way of expressing himself, reading his documents. You really knew what he needed to say and what he wanted to say. And it, I was delighted at the end of that process to have been trained by both my main advisor, the others on my dissertation committee, and have that all put together. But again, that was that's not the norm in graduate school, as, as you've already said. So I did have that foundation as I was finishing up my PhD. And I'm, again, very fortunate to have had that. After that, I did do a postdoc for a while. And I then looked into other opportunities at the university level to hone my writing, to express myself, to really dig into science for the sake of science, not just being in the lab. And, you know, I mean, there's there's excitement in that. There is excitement in being in the lab and and running the experiments and, and getting those really awesome results and sometimes getting the not so awesome results that you then look at and, and get even more excited about. But I decided to go into more of writing administration type path at the university. And I was at the University of Pittsburgh and I had the honestly the great fortune of being mentored by two very extraordinary writers. They both had exquisite skills. They were excellent at communicating what they wanted me to do as a writer. So in training me, they were very clear about what I could improve, how I should be phrasing things, how things should come together. And that office at the university was considered the gold standard for publication. Um, we were in the schools of the health sciences, and our documents were considered again, that gold standard at the university. So it was really nice to have been trained by those individuals. And once you are in that kind of environment and you see how good the writing could be and how good the communication could be, you really don't want to go backwards from that. So I would say that's where my passion for making things 
as good as possible it really came from was in that environment. You're, you're and you're absolutely right. When you read a quality, a well-written paper, it's so much more pleasant to read. You understand the, what the author is trying to convey and you can move through it without stumbling through it and trying to, to figure out what the message is. That is a valuable skill when you write regulatory documents, because at the end of the day, we're all trying to convey a message and that message may be data. It may be the summation of data. It may be a point, but it's a message nonetheless. And so quality, concise, clear writing, it's effective and it's helpful in the regulatory world as well. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And honestly, if you are a strong writer and you can communicate clearly and effectively and and write well, and you don't spend a lot of time, you can write documents faster. We really try to make anybody who's coming into the program a strong writer. There are training programs out there where where this is available, but they're hard to find. So, you know, that Global has one, but there are others. AMWA has some great fundamentals courses. Uh, RAPS has some, some courses, but less so. So I recommend the internship or Global. Do you have anything to say about the internship? No, I just wanted to uh, let the listeners know that if if they're in technical writing, or even if this is someone who isn't in that field, but would like to be in that field and maybe has an interest in medical regulatory writing that we do at Global, we do have an internship. We have a paid internship, in fact, that will train you in how to do technical writing in the fashion that's needed for a CER, a clinical evaluation report. It's it's a great program. It's a, Again, it's a paid internship, which isn't that easy to come by. Being able to be paid to be trained in something that you want to do, I, I think is, is a, real, uh, a real treasure to find. If you want to learn more, we have three episodes on the internship earlier in the podcast feed that explain it in much more detail, including one where we talk with two interns. All right, so let's, let's jump into some of the, the meat and potatoes of our talk today. Let's start off broadly. Are there any general misconceptions or mistakes you'd like to address right out of the gate? Are there any common errors or myths or pet peeves that you can just say, stop doing this right away? It's funny, uh, when you were talking earlier about coming into the field and the different backgrounds that people have, um, one of the things I didn't mention was that a thing that I did for a while before I came to Global was grant writing. And everyone always comes to me and says, how do you do grant writing? How does that work? You know, how do we make that happen? You know, you're, you're getting these grants funded. Is it magic? No, the basic principle of grant writing, honestly, technical writing, most writing, follow the directions. You know, that honestly is probably my biggest pet peeve in writing And we'll talk about that a little bit as we get into the foundational elements of technical writing, but it really comes down to follow the directions. What needs to happen in this document? Why does it need to happen? What is the purpose of what you're trying to say? And if you know that and you can frame that well, then you're not going to be rambling. You're not going to be going onto a tangent that the reader doesn't care about. And you're more likely to be successful in your field, whether that be trying to get a grant funded or trying to submit a regulatory document for approval. That's a really good tip, right? Um, you got to pay attention to the context at which you're writing. And you also have to pay attention to your audience. So on that note, 
you know, I mentioned knowing your audience. Who are you writing for? I would have to say that's probably the first thing you need to think about because the person reading the document, for them to gather the information that you're trying to convey, you need to know why they're reading it, what's the purpose for the document, and you're writing it to that person. I know that you may not know the person directly and it may be going to a more general audience, but you need to write to the person that is intended to read that. And so if that person has a specific knowledge set, you need to know that in advance so that you're not writing the things in there that are too basic. Or perhaps you're writing for a very general audience. When I was at the University of Pittsburgh, I would go from writing very technical documents that were intended for research scientists or I might be writing a press release about that research scientist's work for a general audience, in which case I had to step back and say, okay, if my grandmother was reading this, would she understand it? And so knowing that as you step into your writing is going to really benefit you because you're not going to waste time either adding information that's unnecessary or in the case of something that's like a press release, not writing something that is so high level that no one is gonna grasp what you actually want to say. So knowing where you need to define things, where you don't, what is this person's technical expertise? Are they reviewing a document that's outside of their field, in which case they might need a little bit more background? Or are you writing to an expert in the field, in which case you can perhaps write on a higher level because they don't need that introductory information. That's such a key point. Intuitively, we've all heard several times that you've got to know your audience. And I think what we think of when we hear that is we got to make our message tailored to the audience so they understand what we're trying to say. But there's a flip side of it, which you just touched on, and that's you don't want to alienate your reader by either making things too complicated or not complicated enough. So going going off the audience, you just discussed two different things. One is preparing a press release and one was writing a highly technical document geared towards research scientists. Both of these documents are definitely different in nature. Do you consider the overall structure of the document or the template when you're looking at writing? Is that something that we should consider even before approaching the writing itself? How does that factor in? Yes. So knowing who you're writing to and how you're writing it are both really good foundational pieces. So yeah, there might be a template with the documents that we're writing. We're doing CERs, they generally have a template involved. There are particular elements that are required in the document. There are other things that might be optional. And really in any type of writing that I've done from press releases, grant proposals, through highly technical writing, I've always had a template that I've worked with and knowing what is required, again, that's that goes back to the follow the directions. If you're using a template and they are asking for a very particular piece of information, give it to them. That's really key to success is making sure that the reader is getting the information that they need from your document. And I would say that using examples is a great way to approach that. And I don't necessarily mean giving them little stories and examples of what they might be reading about. I mean more looking at examples of that type of document to frame yourself, maybe get some inspiration, learn about how that might come together. Is the information that you're supposed to deliver, should it be in a table? Is it something that's more in a bulleted list? 
Is it a narrative? How does this information traditionally get packaged into that document? And sometimes the template isn't clear on that, but perhaps a colleague or, you know, we can all, all go to our friend the internet and look for examples of these types of documents and find out, hey, I'm looking to put together a lot of data into a concise format. And even as a technical writer, you may say, this really makes more sense as a table, or this really makes more sense as a narrative. And you can make that judgment call to a degree, but I love having a completed document that I can refer to as a guide. There's two sides of it. There's the template that is required for the particular document you're using. There's also the completed documents that you can use as an example, as an inspiration, as a guide. And I think those working together, for me, that's what's the most helpful, having those two types of documents to actually use in concert as I'm completing my technical writing. That's a great point. I personally heavily leveraged examples and advice from colleagues when I was starting out in technical writing. But even before that, to, to get to your point of, of the template, templates are can be really useful as guides to help you structure your thoughts and message and writing itself. There was even a point in time where I was creating templates for certain types of academic papers because I found myself writing roughly the same thing over and over. And it doesn't make any sense to reinvent the wheel. So if you're somebody who's out there who thinks you may write a document more than once, it may be worth your time to just go back to the first version that you wrote or someone else's version, strip out the specifics and create a template to use. That's a great point. And if you're stuck on something for almost any type of document or any type of way to present information, there is some type of guidance out there. So don't give up just because you can't find, you know, many regulatory documents are confidential. Um, they're held privately, but there are pieces of them that are out there. And there's also good and bad examples. So finding a bad example on the internet can be almost just as valuable as finding a good example. So don't give up on, on trying to find resources out on the internet. Yes, absolutely. The internet, as you said, can, can yield good and bad information, knowing the difference, knowing which ones are the best resource is a good skill to have. And I love to get advice from my colleagues as well. If you're not, you know, an individual who's working in a solitary setup, looking to your colleagues for advice as well can help with that. Absolutely. Speaking of templates, in some templates is some guidance on length or depth of certain sections. One of the things that I ran into when I was first writing, it really anything was, I would either go into way too much detail or not enough. Often in these regulatory documents, you could spend months writing individual sections and write a, an entire dissertation on a particular topic. But there is a law of diminishing returns and that diminishing returns happens pretty quickly. Do you have any tips on this? Um, I find I still find this to be hard. How do you approach that? What advice do you have for people who find it difficult to to either feel like they're not writing enough or more often feel like they're going into too much detail and they're spending too much time? That's a great question. And honestly, I struggle with going down the proverbial rabbit hole with information myself and ending up writing too much about a particular topic because it's exciting. Science is fun. Science is exciting. And I really find that my passion outside of writing is learning. 
and I love learning about the things that I'm writing about. So it is a difficult thing. It is a struggle to not end up spending too much time on a particular section because you're looking through the literature and it's just absolutely fascinating and you want to just absorb every piece of that. But of course, we're doing our writing for a purpose and we do have a time frame involved and we do have a need to finish the document, especially a regulatory document, because there's a deadline. And our client expects that we're going to turn this document around in a certain amount of time. So, you know, we do have to curtail that. So I, what I try to do is look at the document in advance. Uh, if, if there's a way to look at the template or even look at a previous edition of something that you're writing in advance, have some ideas before you're approaching it about which sections might need the most work, which sections are really not too bad as they are. And then there's always the sections that we're updating each time. And, and this is, I think, applicable across all technical writing. You know, the updates are needed because technology is changing. We're writing about medical devices. They're always changing. They always need to be updated as far as are they still safe? Are they still doing what they're supposed to be doing? And it's important that that happens. So when we're looking at that and you're talking to the client, one thing you can do is actually ask the client who has asked you to do this document, you can just say to them, is there a section that in particular you feel needs a lot of work from the last edition? And this is especially if you're doing an update on a document. You know, you've already seen the document. Everyone at your company has seen the document. Is there a place where you feel that we need to expand? And that's especially important in the section that has a lot of the background information, historical information about the device, about the field, perhaps alternative treatments that are applicable to that particular field. Those type of things where you're getting into these narratives that could, in theory, go on and on and on and become an, a dissertation all on their own. Find out from the client, do they see gaps in that information or are they fairly happy with what's there? And maybe we just need to update a few references and a few guidelines that are part of that section. I think that's a great place to start. I often do talk directly to the client and ask that question. And I don't think that any of them would look at you differently for saying, please let me know where you see gaps in this, because ultimately we're writing it for them and they're asking us to write it for them. So it's nice to know what they want out of the document. There might be a rubric involved where you can see this particular section gets the most attention from the reader, this other section isn't so important. And you can lean on that as well if that exists for your document. And I would say that just getting that information is going to save you an enormous amount of time because you're going to know where do I need to spend the most time, the most energy. And that is going to come down to the bottom line as far as your timing, your deadlines, your budget, all of that. That's a fantastic tip. With respect to the rubric point, the rubric could be a regulation and your we write for clients as a consulting firm, but your client could be the regulatory body. It could be the regulatory affairs group that you're working for. 
nevertheless, make sure you reach out to them and ask them or try to find guidelines that outline what needs to be done where I think that's a really good point into the level of detail and what's expected as far as level of detail. If you dig into the regulations, they do give some information on what they're expecting to see as far as level of detail. So it is out there. Right. It, it's definitely out there. And it's definitely important that you understand what is needed to put that document together. And re- I mean, related to that, and I, and I mentioned this at the beginning of what I was just saying, you know, knowing what needs to be in the document as far as where the priorities lie, but then also knowing the scope of the document, that's going to help you to avoid those rabbit holes, those places where your time just seems to run away. And I am definitely guilty of that. I really, really enjoy learning all of the ins and outs of a device that we're writing about. They're fascinating. Honestly, they, they are fascinating. And I enjoy every day getting to tell the regulatory bodies about these devices and how they work and what they do and every inch of it I think is fascinating. But there is a point at which you have to draw the line with the information. So, you know, that's another tip that I think is important is to to really know the scope of what you're writing. How much do they really need to know? So if I'm writing the background on a device and I'm talking about the the conditions in which it's relevant. So if I'm writing about something that is meant for heart failure and I can get a lot of information on that, there's a ton of research on devices that are relevant to heart failure. There's also a lot of research on drugs relating to that. There's a lot of research on surgical procedures relating to that. And there's a point at which when you start going out further and further from the core, the information is becoming less and less relevant. It's not that it's less interesting. It's still very interesting. I, Again, I love it. But it becomes less and less relevant to the document. So knowing the scope of what you need to cover and knowing the level of detail that's expected, that's gonna help to save you a lot of time as well. If you know the level of detail that's needed, you're going to be able to produce a better document, you're going to be able to produce it in the time frame that's necessary, and ultimately you're gonna have a happier client, you're gonna have a happier outcome for yourself. And you can read those other pieces on the side (laughs) for your own entertainment on the device. Uh, But I would say that's that's something that also I, I know it trips me up wanting to know more and more and more and just following right down that rabbit hole into, oh, and then this study talks about that. And then this study talks about that. It, it's very tempting. But if it's outside of the scope, you need to draw the line. Well, as scientists, we always want to add context. Right. We want to we we if we learn a new piece of information, we put it into the puzzle or the milieu of the rest of the information. And it by nature modifies our perception of the information that we knew before. And so it can be really hard when you learn additional details to say, oh, well, this is important. This caveat's important. This case is important, especially in biology, because nothing's a rule ever. But you're totally right. You approach a point where things become irrelevant and 
can become extraneous and distract from what you're trying to say and do and finding that point with experience and time. I think it becomes a, a bit more obvious, but it's challenging at the beginning. I definitely dove down rabbit holes and went to the nth degree, especially if you're coming right out of academic training. I mean, d- details are everything in the technical writing world. Details are incredibly important, but also so is relevance and conciseness, if that's even a word. So before we we move on, I wanted to kind of just summarize what we've talked about so far really quickly. Key things to think about. Follow the instructions. Second thing, take a look for templates and use templates. Templates can mean a lot of different things, but at their core, they will tell you what needs to be there, what may need to be there, and things that probably shouldn't be there. If you're trying to find information or guidance or something you can base a template off of, there often is information out on the internet or with colleagues. If, if you're really stuck, don't hesitate to reach out to professional societies. People are always willing to help in this field. It's, it's fantastic. And make sure you're writing to the right level of detail. Work with whom, whomever you're writing this document for, whether that's a client, person in your company, a regulatory body. What sections need to have the most detail? What sections you can merely update or build upon? Which sections can be more general? Which need to be more specific? And look for rubrics. On that note, make sure you stick to the scope. So use any type of rubric and rubric I'm using as a, a, a term loosely, but it could be regulation, it could be a template, it could be many things. Use that to make sure that your information that you're putting in there is relevant. And when you find that you're circling back again or branching off into areas that are, may not be relevant, stop and bring it back. Bookmark those papers and come back to them later but stay focused on your message. Would you say that's an accurate characterization of the information we just covered? No, no, that really summarizes uh, the basics, the foundation of, of technical writing. Okay, so let's get a little bit more into the actual writing. So we've talked a bit about the structure of documents and the focus of our writing, but the writing itself is, is really important. I find when I read papers often, even in, in high tier journals, I still read the New England Journal of Medicine and Physiology just to kind of keep up on things. There are some people that just cannot, for the life of them, write clearly. And I find myself rereading and rereading paragraphs, trying to figure out what, they're, what they say and what they mean. What are your thoughts on clarity in technical writing? How important is it? And what do you think people can do to achieve clarity? I think that clarity in technical writing is absolutely essential. You have to really be exact. You have to say exactly what you mean to say. There can't be any ambiguity in what you're writing because especially something like we're doing with regulatory writing, the exact words that you use can actually change the meaning of what you're saying. And so being exact, being factual are both absolutely key in technical writing. I would say that you need to be careful in your word choice. You need to make sure that the ideas that you're expressing are very streamlined and very to the point. Not necessarily simplified, but very pointed. You need to make sure that the reader understands exactly what you mean. So you don't want to say things in a very wordy and flowery way, it's not going to achieve your purpose. 
It might give you a longer document. It's not going to give you a better document. So in that, you are going to be using technical terms, jargon, phrases that are applicable to the field that you're writing about. That's a natural part of it. But again, if we think back to who's your audience, who's reading this, when you get into those technical terms and into those jargon and so forth that you're using in the writing, when you're introducing those, do they need to be defined? Or are you writing for an audience that already knows what those terms mean? So that's something to think about. And if you do need to define them, again, don't make it wordy. Don't go into excessive detail that isn't necessary. Just define what it is. Perhaps introduce why it's relevant to what you're even talking about. Or if it's the core element, you can say that. This is the core of what we're getting into. I like to emphasize that word choice really, really matters. And again, there are a lot of ways to express the same sentiment. There's a lot of ways to express the same information, but your word choice can very much affect what the reader hears, or I guess reads in this case. So a great example of a word that sometimes gets used in the wrong way is the word significant. We see it everywhere. People are always finding a significant event. Wow, that was really significant in my life. And if you're doing technical writing, significant has a very specific meaning. And so if I am using the word significant in a document, I'm backing that up with statistics. I am definitely putting data or at least the summary of data into the document. So that's something that as a scientist, I understand that the word significant has a very specific meaning. But if you are coming into technical writing from a field that maybe doesn't use that all the time and you're, you know, jumping into something new, that's fantastic. I think that's a wonderful thing, but you need to know that certain words do have specific meanings. So just being conscious of word choice can make a big difference in your document. That's a great example. My, my PhD mentor used to say words mean things and it sounds kind of simple but words really do mean things and they mean things in a specific context in technical writing there are terms of art which are used colloquially differently i've read before in papers and it drives me nuts when people want to say there was a large or of great magnitude they'll say significant but they don't have any statistics to back it up and they're they shouldn't be using that word. Another example could be relation and relationship. Often people say there is a relationship between X and Y. A friendship is a relationship. What you're describing there is a relation so or a correlation. So that those types of things, they, they do matter. Great point for those who are not in the field or don't have that background. These nuances become apparent pretty quickly and you'll you'll pick up on on these types of things you know it won't totally destroy your, your writing if you misuse terms but so using specific words correctly and writing clearly and concisely is important what drives me nuts sometimes is when information is misstated 
misrepresented. Or if I find this in review articles, I've in many times when I was doing writing my dissertation, you know, you get so deep into a topic, you become familiar with all of the literature in a particular area. And I've read reviews where the reviewer didn't really understand the implications of the finding of the article that they were reviewing. And so they kind of made something up. And I think in academia, you can get away with that, but I don't think you can in technical writing. What are your thoughts on that? I agree completely. There's a lot more wiggle room in academic writing, in academia, for drawing perhaps conclusions that aren't quite there. But in technical writing, things have to be so exact. If you are using a source for a particular section of your document, and that source does not actually clarify a piece of information, you really can't jump to that conclusion yourself. There are things you can do. You can try to find other sources on that particular topic and try to use them to understand where where does this line of thought end up? You know, where are we actually going with this? And chances are you will find something else in the literature and you might even go ahead and replace that original document unless that was something that the client specifically requested. We need to have Smith et al. in this document. You might even go back to the client and say, hey, this particular piece of literature that you provided that is key to this document is incomplete. And I think that's a perfectly legitimate way to talk with them about that, to let them know that you need more information. So there's always more information out there and you need to look for it. You, you can't take the shortcuts with technical writing. You have to know what the details are. You have to let the literature and the source materials drive your writing. Even if you yourself are an expert in that field, you really can't take that step to draw the conclusions that are outside of the scope of what you've been able to gather. And that's something that I would say that that's something that is tempting because, again, you've looked at it, you've read through it, you say, oh, well, of course, this is going to end up over here. But if it's not clearly spelled out, it's I feel like it's not your place as a technical writer to to do that, to put that in there. Again, unless you're specifically told to do that, but I I can't think of a scenario where that would be the case. I love what you said, where you said that the source material will dictate what's in the document. There is much less room for interpretation in the regulatory space than there is in the academic space. Even if you're an expert in the field, everything that you say needs to be supported by evidence in the regulatory realm, which is, which is not easy. I've hit parts when I've been writing where I get stuck because I can't trace down the end of the story or I just simply get stuck on a section and don't really know where to go. Do you have any tips or advice for when you get stuck on a particular section or don't know how to frame things or feel like the document's going sideways and there's no clear focus or flow? How do you handle situations like that? Because I feel like that is something that happens to a lot of people it happens to everyone at some point in time, and it often happens when you're first getting into technical writing. That's a great question, and that happens to me all the time. And I find that the best way, for me at least, 
to be able to move forward because Again, as we've mentioned, we're on a deadline. We're working on a document for someone else. We don't have the leisure of just sitting around and staring at it and saying, well, maybe this information will just materialize. So what I like to do is leave myself landmarks in the document. I use the comments feature in Word liberally. If anyone were to grab one of my documents midstream, there are just dozens of comments running through the document, update this, missing this piece of information, where did this come from, is there a source for this? All of those kind of things are just peppered throughout the document. And some of it's just the nature of how we're approaching it. If it's a new field or if it's something that we aren't familiar with, we're going to need to go and do some background reading within reason, of course, forget that rabbit hole. And, you know, look at what are we trying to do and what are we trying to frame? So that might be a place where you put a comment of look into more detail on this or update this after you've read the background, something like that. There's other times when we're missing pieces of information and we need to track them down. But you don't want to forget, oh, I I don't want to forget that we need to update this particular piece of the document. So again, putting in comments throughout. I also highlight my documents a lot and use different colors to mean different things. That works for me. I've worked with other people who look at my documents and want to run away because they're too colorful and there's too many things all over the document. But I would say find What works for you as far as a landmark or a virtual post-it note or a literal post-it note? Some people like to put literal post-it notes all over their computer uh, screen. That's fine if that works for you. But I, I think for all of us, we're doing so many different things at one time within the document. And it's natural that something's going to be forgotten. And we don't want that. We want these to be as accurate and as complete as possible. And to get that, if you need to leave yourself notes, do it. There's nothing wrong with that. And I would say, I I don't think I've run into a writer yet that doesn't do that. They just each have their own methods for accomplishing that goal. Leaving landmarks is not necessarily an obvious tip, but I can see how that would be incredibly helpful in many, many ways. So we've covered a lot up to this point. I think this may be a good time to kind of wrap up this particular episode. I just want to kind of summarize the last three major topics we went over. First off is clarity is really important. You have to be exact and the words that you use can change the meaning of what you're trying to say. So choose them carefully. Don't make anything up. If you don't have enough information or you don't have the full picture, you can't draw a conclusion. If your literature is incomplete, don't fill in the holes yourself. Even if you think you know, just don't. It's not worth it. You're going to get caught. I have seen this before. People, you know, making the jump, experts in the field, and, and it's not that they were wrong. It's that there wasn't any evidence to support what they were saying. So it's better to err on the side of being conservative in this area And if you have to look for more literature, don't go down the rabbit hole, but don't close the gaps by making an inference or an insinuation. People get away with this in academia. You're not going to get away with it in technical and regulatory writing. And the last great tip, 
was use landmarks while you're writing. If you are working on something and you don't want to stop, you're in a flow and you don't want to stop, but you know you need to come back and address it. Or if you have a brilliant idea on the uh, what should come next based on what you've just written, stop, put in a comment, highlight it, do something to indicate that this section needs to be addressed or to summarize the thought that you just have. The comments will eventually become your roadmap. And this is really helpful because when you're writing these documents, there are so many streams of information coming in at the same time. And often when you're engaging in a technical writing project, information comes in in a uh, non-sequential format and you have to jump between different types of information, right? You may get performance data one day and then vigilance data the next day and, you know, finish the performance. So now you got to work on vigilance and then come back to performance, that type of thing. So use comments, lay down a roadmap. It'll save you time in the long run. Is there anything that I missed there or mischaracterized? No, that really sums up everything nicely. And I loved your emphasis on making sure that things that are in the document have evidence to support them. That is really key in technical writing, that, that knowing that there is something to support every single thing that's in there, whether it be vigilance data or whether it just be something in the introduction and overview. It's absolutely critical. It's got to be evidence-based. We discussed a lot of foundational pieces there. What are we going to talk about in the next episode? The next episode is going to get into the details. We always, you know, the, the phrase, the devil is in the details, absolutely works here as well. And looking at those final things that make the document perfect or as close to perfect as possible, those are the things that really can make a document shine and can make a client very happy that you were their writer. Well, I can't wait. So until next episode, thank you so much for your time, Jen. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me here today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Chasing Compliance. If you have other questions about anything we discussed in today's show or any regulatory or clinical topic in general, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly by emailing us at info at globalrwc.com or submitting a request for information through our website www.globalrwc.com there you can find more information on our approach to solving a wide variety of regulatory and clinical challenges if you enjoyed the show please subscribe leave a review or share this with your colleagues you can leave us a review on apple podcasts or any other podcast app you're listening on